1973, can you believe a long time ago, I ended up going uh, and joining the Air Force. I went to the Air Force. Hmm. And, okay. uh, and, and Fellow and, Air Force veteran, I want to thank yes, you for sir. your yes, service. Air, Air Force veteran. Mm-hmm. And now what's crazy mm-hmm. about, about that part of my life was I'd always, you know, growing up as a kid, my mom always played music. She always played, you know, soul music. She always, I, I remember all the artists back then, even the blues music. I just, I grew up with stuff like that, you know? Right. And so right. when I went to the military, I, I happened to get lucky and go to Germany and I met some guys who, um, and actually before then too, even when I was in Texas, I was stationed a couple of places that to me were significant in, in the music side of me. So, you know, okay. I, I, I was around, I was around brothers from New York and Chicago and Arkansas and different places and Florida. Mm-hmm. And these guys, the, the style of music and, and back then, you know, it was just that, it was that soul music that was just really, really strong. But even yep, even so. what's crazy is even when I went to Texas, I remember Texas back then had a one little old radio station, and that little radio <laughs> station they only played soul music on certain times of the month of the day. So right. it was like every Friday for like three or four hours they would play soul music, and if they didn't play soul music at that time, it was really country music. So I learned even about country music and the artists wow. of country country music. Um, okay. And then, and then going to Germany, uh, I started hanging out with, with singers, groups, guys. You know how they used to do back in the, the doo-wop days and all that. So I remember right. guys doing right. that, even in the military, really talented cats who, uh, who would just, you, you would see them and go, oh, my gosh. Uh, wow. Just really, really good, talented singers and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then I think the thing that kind of made me say, you know, this music thing is just something about it was, I was sitting in a uh, an NCO club uh, on the base one day, and these guys walked through, and these guys walked through, and as I was watching them, I watched I watched them, and they walked over, and they were sitting down talking about how they were going to be performing on the base, and I never forgot that, and I never forgot that moment, and when I finally found out who they were, I remember telling them, man, do you know I play your song? Every single day, the whole album. You know who it was? Who? It was the Manhattan. Gerald wow. Austin and Blue and the group man and man. You told wow. me that was actually that was actually what made me say, you know, and, and they kind of told me a little bit about the story, the history and all that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was actually what made me say, man, you know, just some about the music. So, you know, then we turn around mm-hmm. and I, I get out the military. And I go to Long Beach, California, where my family was at, my mother and my brothers and sisters. And I what year? What year is this that you leave the military and go to Long Beach? I left. I left uh, the military in 1977, and okay. I moved to Long Beach in '77. And I get me a little spot, and all of a sudden, not long after that, what starts to happen? Hip hop. Okay. <laughs> hip hop. Hip hop starts to come, and I remember <laughs> the first. I remember, I remember hearing, uh, you know, a little after that, I remember hearing, I think it was 79, I think it was, was I remember right. hearing uh, 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 the, the, the message, the rappers are like, there you go. I remember hearing the rappers right. are like, right. and I remember right. going, oh my gosh, what is this? And, and just hearing the song, and I used to, you know, like everybody else, we were pumping that song. And, yeah. and then, and then not long after that, 
the guy who I considered my idol. I used to tell people that. He, I even told him that when we met one time. I told him, I said, man, had it not been for you, I probably would have never done this. And that was Curtis Blow. When I heard Curtis. I told him, this, I told him the same thing, Captain Rap. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw him in 1980 when uh, Roger uh, Clayton, Uncle Jam's Army, brought him out here. Right. I, I told him the same thing. I, met, I I didn't meet him then. I met him just a few years ago, actually, you know, when I joined the Universal right. Hip Hop Museum. But that was the same thing that came out of my mouth. He was an uh, idol for me because at that time, if you remember, groups dominated. Right. And they were all East Coast groups. Grandmaster Flash, right. The Furious Mind. You know what I'm saying? A, a, a solo rapper was an oddity, actually, in the beginning. Right. And well, I was trying to put a group together, and but I couldn't find good rappers. That's a whole other story. And right. I decided, that's Curtis Blow. He's doing his solo. I could do the same thing. But go ahead, my right. brother. This right. is well, you Captain know what's, what's crazy? Right. What's crazy, mm-hmm. what's crazy is uh, the one thing about Curtis that caught me was Curtis mm-hmm. had this, had a vibe on him. And, and, and Curtis, to me back then, he could he could throw them lyrics out and the way he put his stuff together and the music was always banging and and yeah. And, and yeah he was he was the man okay yes and he so, was he still is yeah, he's he the, the king man. oh yeah yes, without sir. a doubt and so mm-hmm. when we uh when we talked about when we talked about Curtis when I would sit down and write raps when I would sit down and write them I would always mm-hmm. use a Curtis Blow instrumental. Okay, <laughs> I would use I would use a Curtis Blow instrumental to write to because I figured, man, I, and, and then I would always say if I wrote something, I would have to write and be as good or better than what he was. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's funny mm-hmm. because uh, when I was when I met Curtis the first time I met him, I told him I told him it was just such an honor, and Curtis was just this humble cat, you know, he just this humble cat, but he he just he thanked me for saying that to him that man had it not been for you, I probably would have never done that. Okay. And so then, and then, uh, I guess what happened was I was, uh, I think, uh, I'd gone out with a partner of mine one night. Um, and at that time too, I was just kind of doing it to be doing it. I really wasn't focused on doing it for, um, doing it in a professional manner or anything like that. I was just doing it to be doing it because I love the music. Right. Right. Um, and so all of a sudden I go to this club when they was funny because every time I think about the club, I can't remember the name of the club. I just remember going in there, and it was around the time that Magic Johnson was picked by the Lakers. And, and it was a wow. party for him. I want to say I, it might have been his birthday or something. But I just remember being there with, with my buddy and, and at the time my girlfriend. And Magic Johnson was there. And then I remember going in and, and hanging out. And, and then I remember this brother who was on a <laughs> microphone. On this, on this high level, it was way above the audience, the crowd, and it was up. And I remember this brother was spitting. And I was like, who is that, right? Who is that brother doing that? And the vibe was just killing me. And I said, whoever that is, I got to find out who that is. And guess who that was? Disco Daddy. <laughs> Let me cut in right now. Let me Go just ahead. interject that moment. Let me just, I just got to take the story. This is Larry Glenn, Captain Rap, telling his story on Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip Hop and R&B. But I'm going to just interject for one minute. I was invited by Michael Mixon Moore, who at that time had become, uh, I went to college, but he had become a very well-known DJ who did parties for celebrities. 
And he was instrumental in my career, inviting me to, when he found out I quit my job to become a rapper, inviting me to his set. And he introduced me to Al Jarreau and uh, Susan, and I became the rapper, the resident rapper at his club called the uh, Rooftop, Roof Guard. He called me one day. He said, Mike, I'm doing Magic Johnson's 22nd birthday party at the Variety Arts Center downtown LA. Come on through and sit. I came through. I did my little thing I wrote for Magic. And uh, this cat comes up to me and says, man, I rap after the show. And uh, we were both standing there watching this line of girls coming up to Magic Johnson's table who was sitting with Michael Johnson. No bodyguards in there. They had a big glass bowl. And they would come up talk, say a few words, and put their, I guess, their number in the phone in a glass bottle or glass uh, bowl that was sitting on the table. And we gigged off that for a while. So then I told him, I said, well, if you rap, come on by my house. And I was planning, because I had just beat Nice T and gotten a recording contract, and I thought that I would follow the East Coast formula after my record got played and got to be hit, and I would produce records on other rap artists. Larry Glenn, Captain Rap, came over to my house. He was so cool on what he had written. Uh, I said, uh, wait a minute, I'm going to call my producer and tell him I'm changing the whole concept of Disco Daddy to Disco Daddy. Uh, Larry hadn't thought of his name at that point, or maybe he did. He's going to continue the story for me because I asked him what he's going to call himself. And uh, before I called Duffy Hooks, who had signed me to change the whole thing, Duffy said, man, are you sure, Disco? You know, we signed you. I mean, I said, man, listen, it's Disco Daddy and Captain Rapper. There's no, no question. This cat is, is the bomb. And rather than try to produce him later, it would be a hell of a... Because there was no run DMC at this moment in time. Right, 1980, right, right. August. You see what I'm saying? I said, right, in my right, mind, right. I saw the uniqueness of what we were doing, just like we were talking about Curtis being unique as a solo. I said, wow, a duo... That would be, plus it takes the weight off each rapper because, you you know, you're trading verses. The whole show is not on you. You don't have to memorize the whole song and everything. And it just, and plus you were, you were good. You look good and everything. I said, this will work. And the rest is history. So go ahead. You can start from, um, I guess you can continue from where Magic Johnson's thing is and just tell your side of it and, and continue. And this was August 1981, you guys, the meeting of Disco Daddy and Captain Rat. Man, you know what's phenomenal is that you can remember the exact month and year and all of that. Yeah, <laughs> you, 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 it's phenomenal to me, but yes. And so that's when you and I met, and I had already been, like, I was just enthralled by the fact that you could flow the way you flowed, and you just had this thing about yourself, and I was like, man. And actually, I really didn't think about doing it with you. I don't think I right. had a thought like that at all. I think when you asked and I thought, well, you know, okay. And what's crazy is when I think about it, I actually had nothing written when we met at the, 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 the club that night. I had nothing written down. Right. Right. I go, I go home and I wake up that morning and I lay in my bedroom and I'm on the floor and I got this little turntable and I'm playing it over and over again. And I'm writing to this instrumental stuff that I would say if I was going to do it, if I felt like if I was going to be next to you and we were going to be doing this together, that that's what I would do. And I remember coming to your house and I remember Mm -hmm. there were people, if I remember correctly, there were people that were there to, to also be on your team or be signed to your label. I remember that. And I told somebody, I said, I said, I really, I just felt, you know what, when I think about it, I go, 
what I what I did I think I was really good or anything like that. Uh, one thing I did know is is even in school when I was a youngster, my teachers would always tell me that I had this creative mind. So I always felt like if anything I could do, I could write. Okay, even if right. I had to write for somebody else, I could write. Okay, right. now now as far as flow, or whatever, I, I guess everybody had their own little kind of flow, and I felt like my flow was cool enough, and our flows were so. Uh, it was uh, similar but different, you know, that it would work right. And, man, so when I remember when you when I came in and you told me to do my thing and I did it, I just remember, <laughs> I don't even think you let me leave before you told me, you just got to be us, man. We got to do this. Right, right, right. You, you, were so, you were so tight. You were head above and heels above everybody else because your shit was, I didn't even have a track to play. You just flowed without no music. Right, and right. then I said, "Wow, you know, the shit was tight." I said, "Well, this is what we're doing. It's a gigolo dance out. Uh, definitely right. wanted me to come up with something, so we're gonna do this thing to. Uh, and I'm using Rick James, uh, "Give It to Me, Baby," which we hadn't got permission to use at the time. Right. Um, and this was before even samples were illegal this was before you know there, there was that cloudy period when people were using samples but there was no mechanism to apply to the record company to use samples and there hadn't been any legal verdict on where well, you got to pay the artists for samples for sampling right. their music at that point we right. were doing it all before so we thought we could get away with it that was me and duffy but duffy had a second thought about going to motown and actually asking for permission to use the the thing which i hadn't thought about because i'm thinking motown will never give us so rick's record was still out it was only been out right. six months you know right. and i have been using it in fact that's what i used to rap at magic johnson's uh birthday party i was using it because there were other rappers popping up here and there and i've been doing this shit for two years but i i, I wanted to separate they were using rock skate roll bounce of good times Give It right. To Me Baby by Rick James is fast. Right. So just like Little Richard, who was a friend of mine at the time, he told me that Pat Boone, the white dude, would copy every song that he made. And that's how right. Pat Boone got famous, okay, in right. the beginning of his career by, by, by copying. He said, so the only way I could uh, stop that is I had to sing fast. Because Pat Boone couldn't sing fast. <laughs> so all his songs, shooting for the air. Richard actually told me that. And so I remembered that. He had told me that a year before when I told him what I was getting ready to do. So I started rapping to Rick James. And that's how he came into the picture. And that song, even to say, I gave you, I said, I'm going to take these two verses out, go home, come back, and uh, we're going to go into the studio or whatever you got. When you came back, Captain, your shit was on the money. Everything fit in, everything was tight. And it made sense. And that was the birth of the first West Coast rap record, Jiggle Rap. Now, after that, do you remember the studio, what that was like, going into the studio to record that? Oh, yeah. I, I remember the studio. That was the first time I'd actually had been into a studio. And so I was mm. kind of enamored by that, you know, just kind of. But you know what? The one thing I felt was I, I never went in nervous or anything like that. I just felt like as long as, as long as they could uh, turn the light off, that, I used to love to have the light <laughs> off, so I could so I could play like I was I was in my own world, and then I would just spit that way. As long as the light was off, play the track right. man, and let me go. You know, so yeah, I remember that uh, learning the process of how they put it all together. That was something that you know because all that was new, 
And uh, right. and I just I always felt like I just tell people I said, man, I felt blessed by having the opportunity to do that. When I think about leaving the military and all of a sudden, not long after that, ending up on a record and people, I remember the first time it came on the radio and all of a sudden oh. people would say to me, man, I heard your song on the radio. And I was like, did you? Because I, I don't even think I had heard it yet. And then all of a sudden you start getting all those calls from people because now mm-hmm. the song is on the radio and now people right. want to talk to you. They want to hang <laughs> with you. They want to, they want to, everybody want to talk to you now because you're on the radio. Right, right, right. Now you had never done, you had never DJed, and you had never recorded anything up to that moment. You're one of the unique stories in hip hop of persons who didn't start as a DJ or start as a B boy, anything like that. This was actually your first experience, even though you had talent. I'm gonna give you that straight out. Right. You had never actually performed in public in any type of way, at you. Never. You know, and and that's why too. Look. I learned a lot from you, and I know you know that. I learned a lot from you because if you remember, there were times we would go to perform, and I never really performed before, right? And so I was like, I would be thinking one thing, and then and if something happened, I would go. I know you remember the time we were we were at this. I remember we were at the club. Now here's what was. Funny. I'll never forget it. Yeah. yeah, I remember when I remember listening to LL Cool J, right? And LL Cool J. I think I remember meeting LL when he was like 16 and uh and I remember uh LL in one of the songs he had talked about when he walked into the party people would say things like there he go kind of thing right right so so I remember we walked into this club you and I and I remember mm-hmm. people started whispering whispering that's them that's them and I remember the mm-hmm. feeling of people knowing because we used to go to club after club and just rock that club right that's and right remember, that's right and I remember them saying there they go there they go so me and you walk up these stairs. I remember the stairs that were on the right. We walk up mm-hmm. to the, I can't remember the DJ or whoever it was, but I remember they mm-hmm. set it up for us to do something. It might've been 11 o'clock at night or whatever, you know, I, mm-hmm. I never, I will always, I will never forget what's crazy about the whole thing, even back then, um, how many, if, if the women knew that that's what you did, you could hardly, you could hardly walk without, somebody um saying to you um anything except man uh, yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah oh, yeah man. it was just a wonder wonderment of of somebody who could stand on stage and do that it was so new to people they were fascinated they just even right. before you said anything <laughs> right i remember i gotta tell this story what's crazy what's crazy is for me to do for me to for me to walk up i remember we walked i walked up the stairs and I couldn't wait to, 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 to get to, I could not wait to, uh, to do it. I couldn't wait to mm-hmm. get up there and throw down. And I remember uh, we were up on stage, and it's the first time it ever happened because I'd never done that before. So I was learning. I could sit in the room mm-hmm. and write. I could write all day. Yeah. You give me an idea yeah. or give me a concept or a hook idea. Because one thing about you, to me, you were the king of the hooks, right? I said, if this, Disco Daddy come up with an idea of hook, I can do the rest. I just give me a hook. Man, we were up on <laughs> stage, you. and I remember it was my time to the flow. And all of a sudden, I had a line where it said, you know, something where I had to get the people to respond back to me, right? Right. Say party. Right, right, right. And and, and mm-hmm. I said, say party or something like that. Say party. And the people, um, the people couldn't. The people didn't say anything, right? Well, when they didn't right, say anything, right. when they didn't say anything, <laughs> I looked at you and I went, hey. 
this go that. They didn't say nothing. <laughs> he showed up like with that. the mic live, y'all. The mic was live. We were performing. He yeah. said, see? <laughs> and I had to grab the mic. <laughs> right, right, right. Because but it was, it was just... It was just one of those moments where you had never been on stage before. You didn't know about the ad lib. And the people actually probably heard you. But what was happening, there was another chemi chemical thing going on with rap music at the time. Some of the people didn't know whether to stand there and watch you or to dance. You right. see what I'm saying? Right. Because you weren't a band or we weren't a band. Or, you know, so it was that, that period you went through. So some of them heard you. But they didn't know they were supposed to say party because then we weren't on the East Coast where the, the audiences back there already been conditioned that this right. is what rappers do. They call. You see what I'm saying? We were on a whole new thing. So it wasn't your fault. You know what I'm saying? But after that, right, we right, got, right. you know, on the same page. Just, just, just fake it. Even if you don't, if you don't act like you hear them saying something. And, right. But nobody right. will never know. You know what I'm saying? Except us right. up there on the stage. And, and gradually, you got to hang up the whole thing. But I'm going to say this, too. You you weren't somebody I had to teach do this or do that. You see what I'm saying? You had a natural, when you got the microphone and you started rapping, it was like you had been rapping for years. And that's, and that's, that's what I like about you. You see what right. I'm saying? And that's crazy. Um, the crazy part about that is I felt I always felt comfortable. I think starting off the process with you made it even better. Uh, I always felt that the team together to me right i i thought I, I used to tell people all the time that between you and i as far as the team man i say man it, can nobody touch this because we were that's right dynamic duo we were bad we were bad yes sir and, and from, yes, from sir. All, i remember the the shows renee and angela whatever show we performed in mm -hmm. i remember people would always come to us after the fact and go oh my gosh you guys can't <laughs> sound. you know what i'm saying i remember that yeah yeah, those are the good. Those are the good days, and we got to give a shout out to Mr. Duffy Hooks. Right, Duffy Hooks. He started the first West Coast rap label, and uh, I had beat Ice T at a contest in Carolina West a few months before, and he happened to be there. He was there for both weeks of the contest. Ice T never talks about this, but it was a two-week contest. He won the first week, and he always says he won the contest. But the second week, I came back, dusted him off. Definitely stepped up out of the audience and gave us our recordings contract. Now right. the experience, experience with Duffy, I'm sure you agree, was um, copacetic. Um, there's a story in there because I won't take away from Duffy anything because he was a he was a visionary. But we right. got signed, uh, and then we were invited to KGFJ's office to meet with JB Stone. Right. who introduced us to a guy who wanted to take us national. Right. But me and you looked at each other, and that was like our dream come true. Right. This, started, this moment here started the unraveling of the group. We, Captain Rapp and I never had any personal fallings out. There were outside forces that forced me to break up the group. But Duffy turned the deal down, which from his perspective as a producer, he said, man, if I give my master to people, you know, my, my dad told me about doing that because you'll never get paid. And his dad had had experiences, you know, coming up in the in the 40s or 50s where that was actually done to black people. We were ripped off left and right. Even Little Richard told me about that because he got right. ripped off. But right. for us as artists, it was a bad decision because it stopped right there for us. You know, we couldn't go any further. And Duffy got caught off guard 
because the record got played unexpectedly. Nobody was playing West Coast raps. That was the other thing we were recording under. We had that hanging over us, and we were doing all this. We may not even get on the air. But when it did, it caught everybody off guard, including Duffy, who didn't have the money to pick up enough records to meet the demand. And this uh, story goes into Cletus Anderson, who we're going to be interviewing later this month also. Cletus Anderson actually stepped in and saved West Coast hip-hop, which at that moment, the only things that composed West Coast hip-hop, there was no Snoop, Ice Cubes, or anything, the whole of West Coast hip-hop in 1981 till 1982 was Disco Daddy and Captain Rap. That was it. And by saving Dusty Hyde and coming in with money, then he saved West Coast hip-hop because it would have died right there. A record on the air with nobody. You can go to the shops and buy it nowhere. Cleta Sanders can get that. So let's continue, Captain Rap. I'm not taking your space. It's just that both of us have sides of the story that we can tell now because so many years have passed. Um, he sold our master to this other cat. Right. I'm gonna call him Slimeball Live. His name was Joey right. Jefferson. And tell us what happened, Captain Rap. When uh, Guffy <laughs> paid us, he paid us. He got mad. We got mad at him because he 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 passed on a deal which would have blown us up nationwide. But he did pay us off. Then he sold the master. What happened? Well, I remember. I remember uh, Duffy explaining to me about Joey Jefferson. I remember that part. I remember mm-hmm. going going down to Joey's office to meet with him. And I'm telling right. you, I remember walking in, and Joey had this this um, this vibe about himself um, where he just felt like, um, to be honest with you, he felt like if we were going to be, be with him, he was going to own you. It was all about right. ownership. You couldn't say anything. You couldn't, the creative part, you could be creative, but he was going to be, uh, uh, in essence, in charge of all the processes. And basically, right. you, you would do everything at his whim, at his time, whatever way he wanted to put it. <laughs> and, I, and I basically told him that wasn't working for me. Right. So I remember, right. I remember him saying, well, this is how I can do it. I can, I can take what I have already. I never forget he told me that. He said, I can take what mm-hmm. I have already. Um, and take your name off of it and put somebody else's name on it. And exactly. I remember looking at him. I remember looking at him, mm-hmm. and I was sitting in his office, and I remember looking at him and thinking, "I'm about to jump out of this seat." <laughs> <laughs> I never forget that. I said, "I can't believe he's telling me that," because at the time I was thinking, I said, "Now, you know, I got people dependent on me." At this point, when I told my family, "I'm gonna devote." 100% of my time to this music, all right? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, right. you got some guy who's not creative at all, who just had mm-hmm. a, a, a business, and he wanted his business to run. He wanted to take me and you and put us in his business and run us. And I was like, right. hey, I'm not doing it. And then with the he threatened. Was, yeah. Again, Go ahead. Well, yeah, no, I was about to say the same thing. He threatened to change the name of the group on the record, if we didn't sign with him, right, okay? Right. I signed with him. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't because right. I realized that even if I signed with him, I wasn't going to get any money. I realized that. Right, right. Just from the conversation, and, and I said no. Right, and after yeah. that, he changed the name of the group anyway to he Captain did. Crunch and the Funky and Bunch. The Funky Bunch. I'll never forget that. Right. I never forget right. that. And I he's, he's going... 
It's and on Discogs, like, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was uh, like, you got to be kidding me. So, uh, yeah. you know, well, I always say things come back. Things, things, things do what they do for a reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I remember, um, I just remember that process. And that's when, uh, I don't know if you remember, but at that point I decided, I said, well, the music thing has been cool, but I realized what it is. I realized what it is. You got people that are in positions. Uh, because they might have a little bit more money than, than you or I did at the time. Right. And even though right. we were the creative forces behind it, they were going to tell us what to do and how to do it and be in charge of it. And Joey never said to me, look, I want to work with you, so can I give you five grand right now or $10,000 or whatever? Right. Right. He didn't come like right. that. He was basically saying, I'm going to take the money and put it into this thing and whatever. And, and, and at the time now, uh, I had no publishing company. Um, mm. I had, I had, I, I didn't even, I don't even think I knew at the time about the writers' royalties. We didn't know, we that. didn't know anything. Right. Neither one of right. us knew anything. We couldn't afford an entertainment attorney, right. and right. he knew all of this. Now, now, one right. thing I got to add, he showed us all these records boxed up in the room at, at right. his at a little little uh, record shop, uh, George Jefferson's Jazz City Records. He said all these records right. ain't moving. He ain't selling, man. You know, try to make it like he didn't put spent money on all these records. Me and you were up at the club in Hollywood doing our thing because we kept on grinding, you know. Right, and right. this girl stuffs up out the audience after we finished. And she says, wow, I'm here from L.A. visiting from Florida. Disco Daddy, Captain Rap, your, number, your record is number one. Yeah, we said, know. what? She said, yeah, I'm from Jacksonville. Your record is number one. And that's when we knew we had a national record. And what he had been doing, he had these independent promo guys. You remember, he used to sit around the office. He would load up their trunks and send them all through the South to all these small cities, Jacksonville, something Mississippi, this and that, and Georgia, where he could sell 10,000 records, and we would never make Billboard on one of the trade magazines because we weren't in a big city on the air. But he was making money and then telling us about selling so that right there destroyed me, Captain Rap, because because even though you know me and you had have been doing doing it good, I've been rapping for two years before this to get to this moment, and now because of a, a we would end up with a sleazeball producer, uh, he, he just destroyed. You know, I broke the group up. I called you and said, "Man, I got I'm gonna break the group up," and it wasn't anything you had done. It was because I felt that. Well, we, I didn't know, first of all, that you didn't sign, because we didn't talk about that. He brought us in individually to talk, privately. Right. Okay, right. And, and I said to myself, well, the only way he can control us is if he, he didn't sign the group. He signed Disco Daddy and Captain Rat. As right. individual entities, he can't sue us or anything, because the, we, the group is not signed to his label anymore. You see what I'm and saying? He, I didn't know if it was legal or what. But that's the way I chose to handle that. Plus, I was depressed. I went into depression for about a year and a half because all the ideas for the second record and us, that, right, that never right. came to fruition. We, 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 had, we had some really good ideas. Joey wasn't smart enough to really, to me, put that uh, together like he, he should have. Um, right. And, 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 and the thing I remember is when you told me that you had to break the group up, in my heart, I felt crushed i never forget that i felt, I remember walking around going man uh, here i go yeah you told me that man radio, i apologize i said ahead. here i go all on the radio records playing huh. everybody's talking about me from long beach to la because you know my mother lives right. in long beach my dad lives in la 
And I had a lot of friends that were in L.A. Uh, one of my best partners, he knew almost all the – I mean, my partner knew everybody. So he would say, let's go play baseball with the Jacksons. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. It was always something. And everybody was that gold? Remember, you talking yeah, about gold? gold? Exactly. Gold. Right. I remember gold. you introduced yeah. me to Right. He, he was – he knew, I mean, because of his thing, he used to be, he was a, he was a record promoter back then. So he knew everybody. And so he would say, Hey, so-and-so is going to have a party. You know, Eddie Murphy's going to have a party. We were always hanging together. He was my, he was like my boy. And, 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 and then he was the one that after we broke up, he told me one day, he says, so what are you going to, he asked me, he said, what are you going to do? I said, well, Mm -hmm. my girl just left. She went back to Colorado to spend time with her mom. And I said, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about going there for a while just because it'll give me a chance to get away and kind of clear my head. So right. he says, you really want to do that? He says, man, you know, you could stay here and make some more music. He says, you should. And I said, well, I'm mm. probably going to go away because she had been asking me to go with her. So next thing I know, I'm on a plane and I'm headed to Denver, Colorado, right? <laughs> I'm headed to Denver. Okay. And I remember walking into, and, and I was all right. I was all right. I was okay for a minute, okay? Uh-huh. I would hear hip-hop music in Denver. I would hear stuff. I would hear the groups. Uh, I think at that time, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, they were really banging hard at that point, you know, because I would hit some of the clubs. But I remember going into a club, and all of a sudden, the song played, right? Our wow. song played. All the way in Colorado, <laughs> and I remember walking up to the DJ and saying, uh, "I said, where did you get that at?" He says, "Man, he said I get this stuff sent to me, man. You know this, he's, this group is out of out of L.A., man. You know this group, this group is bad, man. Blah blah blah." And I said, "Well, that's me, right?" No, it's not. <laughs> I said, "It is me, right?" And that was the, and, and and that guy's name. Matter of fact, uh, the last I checked, he was still on the radio. In, in that area, his name was wow. Al, Al Yapath. That's who it was, Al Yapath. He was on the major radio wow. station in Denver. Um, was funny. Um, and so he, we became friends because he said, oh, my gosh, now here Captain Rap is in Colorado living. It was crazy. <laughs> and, then, and then not long after that, I get a call one day from mm-hmm. Cletus. Saying, what year? What year is this? What, what year are you at now? That was probably, let's go to say, I want to say 82, early 82, I'm thinking. Okay. And I, and, and I get a call from Cletus saying, hey, you know, um, I think he had tried to contact me, but he couldn't in some kind of way through Kelvin, through my brother, through to my mother, and it got to me. <clears throat> he says, hey, I got an idea, and I want to know if, you, uh, if you'd write, write the song for me if you do it. This is, this is Cletus friend, Anderson. This yeah, is this Cletus is Anderson again. Okay. Right. So I told so I told Cletus I say no, man, I'm cool. I said I'm I'm not I'm not really interested. And he says he said, and it was funny is is when I said I'm not interested, Cletus kept calling me. It was like almost every week he would call me to say right. I really want you to do this, man. And so finally uh. I said okay, look. I said what is it that you want me to do? He said I'm going to send you the track, and I want you to listen to the track. And if you could write something, and he would, this is what Cletus would say. Cletus would say, mm-hmm. I, want, I want you to write something where people are in pain and people are hurting. And he would say that, wow. right? I want, wow. I want that. You know, I want that kind of song. I want it, you know, people, 
And so I get the track and I listen to it. And I remember listening to the track. And, uh, and I remember uh, it was uh, the beginning track that he had sent me was a basic track that was done by actually the guy who was a good friend of mine, Rich Kaysen. Rich Kaysen had Kaysen. done the track. Rich, uh-huh. Rich Kaysen had done the track. And, and what's ironic is Rich and I had done work before, before I left to go to Colorado. And so as soon as I heard wow. it, because one thing Rich could do, Rich could put, Rich, would, Rich could make a simple track, but it could bang, right? He right, could make a right. simple track and bang, just like he did with the formula, what was it, Formula 4, I think it was, and uh, right. the different songs that he would do. But anyway, so uh, when I heard mm-hmm. the track, I remember writing to the track, and I'm sitting there singing to the track, and I always felt like I liked. Uh, I always felt like if I was going to do a track on my own, so to speak, I wanted to do it with um, uh, some singing in it. I always felt like right. that. I just felt right. like I want to do something, and I want to put a rap down, put a good hook on it, and do something. And long story short, that's how Bad Times I Can't Stand It came to life. That's how it came to life. Okay, now, now you come up with the concept, Bad Times. Uh, the title and everything, and you're in the studio recording it. Um, there are two very famous producers who weren't very famous at that time. Uh, right. They were part of someone else's band, and you right. happened to run into them, and it changed the whole direction of what you guys were laying down in the studios. Why don't you tell us that story? This is the how bad times what people out there end up hearing on the radio came about so so what's what's ironic is i get the basic track and we're working on it and but but what happened was we had worked on it one day and i kind of went home to to marinate to it and kind of feel what i need to do and all of that and as i'm rewriting certain parts and whatever so i remember i'm in hollywood i'm on the corner standing by uh this light ready for the light to change to walk to the studio and we were really really at this the studio we were we were recording at was like one of the best studios that I could ever gone to. It's crazy. It was, I can't remember the name of the studio, but it was like it had everything in it you would want to have in it. And it was very major, major studio. And so um, almost, okay, anyway, so I'm standing on the corner and and this girl is on the corner to my right, this lady, young lady, and and I say hi to her and she says hi to me. And so then I kind of look at her and say, so, hey, what you doing? She says, well, I'm on my way to do something. Uh, and to meet, I guess, to meet my, my two producers. And I said, well, who are they? And she says, oh, you probably wouldn't know them. And I said, well, <laughs> who are they? And she says, well, they're Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And I went, I know who they are. I know exactly who they are. And so, and so, and so she says, you do. And I said, well, how did you, you know, her name was Dina Andrews. Dina Andrews <laughs> was on that corner and her and I started talking. And here, you know what's crazy? Is we are mm. friends to this day behind wow. connection. Dina and I let, Dina actually just let me, let me back to LA. Let me let me just interject. Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were members of the time, Prince's band. And they had just gotten fired by Prince <laughs> at that well, maybe a month or so within the same month that you met him. They'd just been fired by Prince for moonlighting, which Prince didn't like his artists to do. At least that's the popular story. So they were unemployed at the time. Is this correct? And they hadn't met Janet Jackson yet. They hadn't met any of the people they later on produced. Captain Rap 
I believe you're yeah. the first, and correct me if I'm wrong, the first artist that they produced uh, once they left uh, the time. Actually, they rejoined the time later, you know, but, right. but at the time I could find from Prince, you were the first artist that they produced before they became famous. Well, you know, what's crazy is what, what the conversation I had with them, because when I was talking to them about being um, being here in L.A., it had to do with they were supposed to be going to back to Minneapolis, but they got <laughs> caught. The weather caught them. Right, that wow. weather caught them, and and Prince, if I remember correctly, wanted them there because they were going to be producing. They were supposed to be there, if I'm correct, to produce the SOS band, right? Okay, right. That's right. what it was. It was the SOS band, and so okay. because because they were stranded and stuck because of the bad weather, supposedly that's when Prince got mad and and said, "That's it, you're fired." And so <laughs> they they need they needed some work and some money. And so I told Dina, I said, well, hey, I would love to work with the cats. Can you, can you let them know I want to work with them? And through that, that's when Cletus got the number to them, and we talked. And next thing you know, man, look, I'm going to tell you, when they showed up to the man, studio, man, I never, that must I have never, been look here, I can tell you this. When they showed <laughs> up, I remember Jimmy and Terry showed up, and what's mm. ironic is when they heard the track, um, and Jimmy was asking me, he says, so what are you, what are you thinking? And, and he says, can I hear some of the lyrics? He wanted me, he wanted me to, to, to flow. And so I flowed for him and he says, I know what to do. And man, the rest was this, my brother. Okay. When he started, I remember him connecting the, the, the keyboard. And when he started, when he started doing that, Mm-hmm. I was like, you got to be kidding me! And I, I'm telling you, mm-hmm. he he didn't miss a beat. Uh, and the mm-hmm. way Jimmy, the way Jimmy and Cherry worked together, it was almost mm-hmm. like they could read each other's mind. They knew exactly what to do and how to do it. And and they were really um, interested in me feeling whatever I was feeling. And right. so and so at that point, I remember saying, I got to get this singer on this track. This I, because mm-hmm. I wrote. I wrote that I can't stand it, I can't stand it part for somebody to sing, and I wanted the person to be kind of gospel-like, right? Right. That's something that I felt. And so I remember walking into the room. I was making some calls to see if I could find, uh, get somebody that I knew that could sing could come through. And what's ironic, to me it was almost like heaven heaven sent and it meant to be because on Uh the – you know when you go to studios, there's always these boards with cards. All the people leave their bulletin boards. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they're on the bulletin board. Uh, that's how I found Kim Ball, Kimberly Ball. It was mm-hmm. on the bulletin board. And I called her mm-hmm. and I said, you sing? And she says, yeah. And I said, uh, I said, well, let me hear you sing this real quick. Just sing this. And she sang it. And I said, well, can you get down here? She says, I can get down there in about an hour. I said, well, get on down here because we're not leaving till you get here. And man, wow. and, and I walked in there with her and I said, this is what I want you to do. And then when I told her what I wanted her to do, then Jimmy and Cherry did the rest of it by telling her what to do. And man, that was it, my brother. I remember walking out of there and that song going, there's no way this is not a hit record. I just remember walking out. There's no way this is not a hit record. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a phenomenal experience. I remember seeing, uh, well, actually, too, because there was something you said earlier about uh, because they not only produced my record, 
but they produced a record for Ice-T as well called Cold And Cheryl Lynn, Cheryl Lynn, to be real. Right, exactly. Those guys, once they got Mm -hmm. going, it was ridiculous. They were just, man, super, super, super talented, really nice guys, really respectful guys. I'm telling you, it was unbelievable uh, the, the, the time of working with them cats. And, and here's one thing that's, that's ironic. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I found out that um, Jimmy Jam's birthday is the same day as mine. We're both born on June 6th. <laughs> okay? All right? Okay, it's can crazy. you see that? Yes. That's same, crazy. Same day. It's crazy. <laughs> and the, the, other thing, the other thing is I, uh, since, since like in the past, say, four years ago, I'm working with another friend of mine. I'm working on a project out here in the uh, 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 Oakland area, Sacramento area, and I'm working with this young young producer, and uh, his name is Brandon, right? Mm-hmm. So as I'm talking to Brandon, I say, so what's your last name? He said, Brandon Lewis. And then he tells me, Terry is his father, right? Can wow. You imagine that? Just like wow. That. Just like wow. That. This yeah. is... This is fantastic. You, if you hadn't gone in that recording studio, you wouldn't have met the producer Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. You right. wouldn't have had seen Kimberly Ball's uh, card on the bulletin board. Right. The song would have probably come together, but there's right. no telling from that point on how fortuitous uh, that choosing that one studio was. So there's certainty. I have a theory that people's destinies are set before they're even born. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can call it God, whatever you want to put, but obviously so many coincidences that happen in people's life. You and I meet at Magic Johnson's birthday party and end up making the first West Coast rap record. You go on to do a project with Cletus Anderson who chooses a studio where you happen to meet <laughs> the manager of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis before they became producers of the year for Janet Jackson, multiple times, multiple Grammy winners, okay? And you get a singer who unquestionably has marked your record from the opening note with her voice to where people, as soon as they hear, oh, that's Captain Rap and so 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 what what did what developed with that? Did you guys tour together? Um and how is Kimberly Ball? Kimberly Ball is doing fine. We talked not long ago. She's still in LA doing fine. Uh and before I forget, I want to say the name of the studio because that studio, uh it, it it's for a minute I forgot the name of it, but you know the name of the studio was called Larrabee Sound. Larrabee. Larrabee, that's one of the top Larrabee. studios in, in, in Los Angeles right. at that time. That's, that's yeah, what, major studio. Santa Monica, and that's where we went, Larrabee Sound. And right. I, we've always tried to keep in touch. And what's ironic is after we did that, everybody tried to get Kimberly to sing on their stuff. Everybody. <laughs> she must, man, I'm talking, I'm talking, you know, uh, there was a, a group of producers who all of a sudden she would tell me she would get calls for, calls from this mm-hmm. hey, we got this track, we want you to sing on it. It was almost like Kimberly became the Nate dog of, of, of singing on the track. You know what I'm saying? Right. It was crazy. Right. The it voice was is crazy. magic. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and what's ironic is we, we were able to go, I mean, we were able to go places. Um, the last, we, were, we would travel together, and I would always treat Kimberly as, as, as even though I wrote the whole thing and whatever, mm-hmm. Kimberly was like mm-hmm. part of my team at that time. So I told her, whatever we do, 
we're going to do this together. And that's how it kind of laid itself out. Uh, we did some touring in New York. I remember one time, Kimberly and I flew to New York on a red eye. And we get there. And the, and the thing was right before, uh, I want to say it was right before Christmas, uh, I want to say. And that was probably around, uh, I'm thinking it was around 1983, I want to say, when the song had come out. All of a sudden, man. We were getting calls. I was getting calls, and right. and and I, and I didn't have a manager, so I was doing it myself, right? I would right. tell people, say, call me, you know, talk to me, and let me know, and we'll we'll get there. And I remember going to New York, uh, uh, the Bronx, Brooklyn, uh, uh, all the different clubs, man. I mean, oh my gosh, the clubs in New York, <laughs> it was unbelievable, right? And we and, and, and we would go and come out, and they really, really wanted to see us do this bad times i can't stand it and what's ironic yeah. too is people had when if you and when you look at the song people would always say even though i never wrote it that way they would say it was the it was the song that was the west coast answer to the east coast song the message by the message right. which can, i can believe, believe to this day yeah yeah, but yeah. but 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 you didn't you weren't inspired by that. It just so happened that the things you were writing about were the same things they were writing about. Exactly. See what I'm saying? And Look, the, you see yeah. what I'm saying? When when you when you so, were sitting when I when I was sitting in the neighborhood and I would sit down and watch some of the brothers or watch some of the things that would go down, I was mm-hmm. writing that kind of stuff. And I remember taking right. some stuff from that was the time when Raiden was president. I remember looking at that. I remember just some of the current events I would write about. Um, but I'll tell you to this day, man, I, and this is the truth. Every time I listen to that song, when I get to the end, the last verse about gangbanging, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember when, when I hear that song and it talks about that part about the gangbang, um, mm-hmm. the colors and all that, because the L.A., was really big at that point with that going down, right? Right. And right. and I remember people would call me and say, "Man, how did you come up with that? Who? How did you write that?" And Kim, because of hearing that part, it was almost like she was singing and crying at that part at the same time. Because at the yeah. at the at the end of that rap, this lady was stabbed to death and she died behind some gangbanger trying to trying to snatch her stuff or somebody on drugs or whatever. Right. But the right. trip thing is. It's to that to this day, that song still affects me when I listen to it because I swear I will sit down sometime and go, God made me write that. I didn't do that on no. my own. You know what I mean? <laughs> what I'm talking I, about. Yeah. I didn't do that on my own. So it is what it is. Mm. But yes, uh, you know, those were some really, really uh, good, uh, good times, my brother. Really good times. Okay. Well, that, bad all that, times. All that inspiration, all that inspiration mm-hmm. was because of you and I starting off meeting at the club. Right. Now, Bad Times also established another historical point. Uh, All of a sudden, Bad Times, Captain Rap, is on the Billboard record charts. Tell us how that happened, how that came about when you first became aware. And at the time, did you know you were the first West Coast artist? Well, they weren't. It was only you and me at the beginning, but the first right. West Coast artist to chart Billboard with the rap record. Were you aware of that at that moment? How did that? How did you become aware? Well, you know what's crazy is I remember 
uh, I didn't really know anything about sound scan or anything about that at that time, right? How they would chart the mm-hmm. records and all of that. And so right. I remember, I remember one of my buddies called me one day, and he mm-hmm. goes, uh, he goes, Captain Rap, he goes, man, do you know, uh, do you know your records on Billboard? And do you know? Uh, he was telling me that even on the train, you know, because I knew some people on Soul Train, they were talking about mm-hmm. me down there to perform, right? Wow. So. And so that's when I realized somebody said, go get the billboard. Because, you know, back then we didn't have, um, you know, iPhones. No internet. <laughs> right. Go, go get the billboard. You know, I had to go to one of the bookstores. I remember going to the bookstore. Actually, I told my buddy to come and get me. I told Gold to come and get me. And we went uh-huh. all the way down because downtown Hollywood had all the bookstores where you could, right on the corners, you could see another but books. I remember grabbing mm-hmm. one of the books, the billboard magazines, and opening it up and seeing how bad times had charted. And I was like, oh my gosh, can you believe that? Can you believe Man. that? This is, this you is know something where that... I was in... Go ahead, go ahead. No, I but, no, no, but let me just throw this in. Let me just say go this. But, but I, was in, I was in Joey Jefferson's shop having an argument with him. And he went and got Billboard back. He said, you know, your partner's number 29 on Billboard. Right. I said, go ahead. Right, right. So, <laughs> so, 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 right. So he... <laughs> So when I when I look at it, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, I said, "This is the the the, the part of me laying on the floor at my mother's house <laughs> and sitting down listening to this song over and over again, and writing, and actually, uh, even though you know back then the songs were long, so you could have a song right. like six eight minutes or whatever or longer, right. and I remember writing from the beginning." of bad times to the end, to the last line I wrote, it took me a whole week to write that song. And I wanted to be so precise because I would write something and I would say, no, that's not good enough. And I wanted the words to be able to be flipped. I wanted to do it in a way when people would hear it, they would go, oh my gosh, Captain Rap killed it. And it seemed like once once that record hit the streets, man, let me tell you what I remember even most of all. So I get the record, I get the record, and I meet uh, some kind of way Greg Mack and I are talking, right? Greg Mack Greg was Mack, a program director for 1580 exactly. KDA at that time. 1580 KDAY. Okay. So I get yes, to sir. Greg. I never forget. Greg gets the record. Mm-hmm. So he puts the thing up to his ear, and he starts listening to the song, and this is what he tells me. Damn, this song is bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, never, I never forget that. He says, oh, my God, this song is bad. <laughs> He says, we're going to start playing this immediately, right? Wow. Wow. Do you know, do you know how it felt? when I would, I would be at home or say I'd be in Long Beach and I'd be doing something, and all of a sudden somebody run to me and say, man, I heard your record. Or if I'm, if I'm walking down the street <laughs> or driving down the street, for somebody to, to sit in their car and bang the record and bob their right. head, and I could be right next to them, and they didn't have no idea <laughs> that I was the one that had done that. Okay. I remember that those was, days and times. Man, yes, sir. That was like yes, that sir. was just un- unbelievable to me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Were you aware at the moment though that you were the first rap artist to make Billboard from the West Coast? I was not. I totally had not okay. thought about that. I was just mm-hmm. actually I was I was just uh I was taken by the whole fact that it had done what it had done. It was a club killer. Uh that was yes. one thing people tell me. Some people would say they love the fact of how Ken did on there. Some people would say they love the fact of how I rapped on it, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. 
I was like glad that anybody that gave me uh, some love on that song and just told me they appreciated it, I just felt blessed because of the fact that when I would think about, you know, six months ago, I was sitting uh, in Denver, Colorado with my girlfriend, <laughs> and then all of a sudden I broke up with her and I came back to California, and all of a sudden, even when she got the record and realized it was me and she's in Colorado, you know what she wanted to do then, right? Uh, she, yeah, get married. She wanted, to hook, she wanted to hook back up. <laughs> like, man, it was like that. And I used to tell her, I said, this is something I got to do. I want to do this. So, yeah, right. it was, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. That was history. Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip Hop. We're talking to Larry Glenn, Captain Rap, one of the most interesting stories in hip hop. Uh, because he didn't start as a b-boy he didn't start as a, a mc or anything like that we met he was cold-blooded and uh formed our group and the rest is history we want to know what larry glenn is doing now uh, what has happened since those recording days we've all moved on we always keep our fingertips in the music so what is captain rap doing now so so you know what's crazy is i had always kind of uh, decided to dabble in some music some kind of way. I would always run into artists or I would send somebody, uh, if they were looking for somebody, I kind of always knew who to hook somebody up with. And so just recently, I would say, I would say three years ago, four years ago, let's go four years ago. Mm -hmm. So four years ago, somebody comes to me with, uh, 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 somebody said to me, hey, I got somebody that I want you to listen to. They're a really good singer. And for whatever reason, they're just not being able to do what they need to do. So I said, okay, let's, let me see him. Uh, so a good friend of mine, her name is Tanya. I'll just say Tanya introduced me to her. Um, it's actually her niece, but she would say her daughter because she raised her. And so she brought the young lady to me and I listened to the young lady sing. And when she sang, I actually started crying because I've been around wow. a lot of singers. Actually, I've been around a lot of singers. You know, I spent I spent uh, I spent what eight years up in L.A. working with Leon Haywood when he was doing "She's a Bad Mama Jam" and all that stuff. So I had a lot of right. people I worked around. But when that girl sang for me, I remember tears came to my eyes because I said, "I cannot believe that anybody can sing that good." And so right. I asked the young lady. I said, "What do you want to do?" She said, "I want to go in the studio and make some songs." And so that's what I did. I called one of my good friends up. Uh, they call him DOA, Derek Allen. I called Derek up and I said, hey, I want to bring this young lady to you and let's see if what you think. And when he heard her, he looked at me. He says, when do you want to start working? So we, went to work. <laughs> we went to work. It didn't take long. We went to work and we produced nine songs on the girl. And uh, What's her name? You want to give her name out now? Or what? Her name is Kaylani. Everybody knows about Kaylani. That's who it is. Kaylani is the one that we did some songs on. And so she's mm -hmm. out there now. She's out there in L.A. doing her thing. Um, she's doing really well, as uh, without a doubt. She's doing really well. Most mm -hmm. people know Kaylani from Oakland. And so, um, and so since after that uh, project, mm -hmm. I decided to start uh, a record label. Mm -hmm. uh, I decided uh, I have a young producer who I believe, you know, I spent some time with, uh, with, with getting to know Dre back in the day and his style. And mm -hmm. I remember when... Uh, when, when Sir Jinx would do his thing, I kind of watched him. And you know, some of the producers around Battle Cat and all those guys. So I kind of watched guys and listened to guys and, and, and to see how they, how they did what they did. And, right. um, 
And so I, I found a guy, uh, his name is Max. And Max, uh, he, he, his uh, production company is called Keys Ways. But this dude is a young, young guy who is bad as all get out. He's bad to me, man. So wow. him and I, we decided to start a, a label. We're actually working on putting everything together. I have a couple of artists that I'm going to bring forward here shortly. Uh, we plan on putting some music out this year. Uh, I would say probably the first few months of the 2018, we're going to release some material. Uh, the label. What, what uh, label? What's the label name? What's the la- name I, of your label? I was, yeah. I was going to say that. I told, I let Max put the label that, together that he wanted. Max wanted to mm-hmm. call the label Preeminence Entertainment. That's what he calls it, Preeminence mm-hmm. Entertainment. And it's going to okay. be him and I. We trademarked it already, and we're going to go with it. Uh, we got some hip-hop coming. Uh, the group that, I've, that, I, that I'm releasing first, um, I can't say the name yet, but I'll just say right. you see Pre- Preeminence Entertainment uh, with my name on it, Larry Glenn on it, and, and Max Michelle's name on it. You'll know that uh, this is the first group we're going to release, and we're, we're really looking to this, for this to be successful because right now I'm putting my team together uh, mm-hmm. to make this thing happen. So I'm really, really glad. Uh, and again, the two artists that I'm working with, um, I just think they're phenomenal. I mean, unbelievable. Okay. Yes. Okay. So when you do that project and it's done, we're going to have you back on the show to introduce your group to the public right here on Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip Hop and R&B, okay? Captain Rap, we want to thank you for your contribution to hip hop. Worldwide influence your song has had, you brought attention and respect to the West Coast because although your record, the record that you and I did, Open the Door, you just kicked it open with uh, bad times, okay? You destroyed the door frame and everything, okay? No more glass ceiling <laughs> for West Coast raps. Because that's the one thing we didn't really get into, that at the time we were making the records, not one radio station in the world were playing West Coast rap records, okay? Right. So when they played ours, that opened the door, and you came and went 29 on Billboard, you went worldwide, you were the first rap artist to do those things before there was a Snoop Dogg, before there was an Ice Cube, before there was an Ice Tea. You don't get your due, but you're getting it today, my brother, okay, on Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip Hop and R&B. Mr. Larry Glenn, Captain Rap, we wish you the best for the new year, 2018. We want to thank you for doing our show. And uh, any last words you might have for the audience out there? Well, the last word I want to say is, I'll say it this way. I'll say, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my story and talk to me. Man, and you and I definitely got to get together soon. We definitely got to get together. You know, I'm going to find my way to make my way to L.A. We can sit out and have some lunch or something like that. And I always, cool. I, every time I think about you, I always think about this right here. I always think about this. You ready? Go ahead. With a D, with a D and an I and an S-C-O-B-A-D-D-Y. When I heard you said that, I said, this, this, show, man, this is my show. Oh, man. You know what? You're a good guy, man. I appreciate it, and uh, I love you. I love you, man, like my brother. We got a we, we got history. Without you, this thing would have never transpired. I probably would have never gotten into music had it not been for you. And I'll say I appreciate it. And uh, thanks a lot. And uh, enjoy your day, brother. We'll definitely talk, man. I appreciate it. We're gonna do that. We're gonna do that. You've been listening to Larry Glenn, Captain Rap, keeping it west on Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip Hop and R and B. We out, y'all.
Peace. So wasn't it a great show? Come back next week, every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Disco Daddy's Wide World of Hip Hop Show. Man, it's a great one. Epic, epic. See you next week. Bye.